0: Welcome to episode 33 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and today we're interviewing Ali Houston of Scoundrel Chocolates and Ice Cream. We met Ali through the Keto UK WhatsApp group and knew about Ali having launched his ice cream and his uh, more recently chocolate bars so we thought he would be a very interesting guest for you to
1: listen to. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Ali, Lou? Ali Houston helps people to be healthy while enjoying great food. He fixed his own health by changing how he ate, and was so amazed with the results that he combined his dual background in science and fine dining to found Paleo Canteen in 2017. He's the co-author of a cookbook, which is Low Carb on a Budget, which has a foreword written by Dr. David Unwin. And he is the director of, as Jackie said, Scoundrel Foods, which sells delicious, luxury, sugar-free ice cream and chocolate, which unfortunately doesn't ship to Bangkok, Thailand. But maybe, Jackie, one day you will be lucky enough to, um, to try Ali's ice cream and chocolate.
0: Yeah. Well, the chocolate I can get. I just need to send off for it. But the ice cream is going to be a bit difficult until he sorts out a better distribution. So I think he's only distributing around Glasgow at the moment.
1: Which might mean now you can maybe go visit Glasgow um, just to go and try some ice cream. That would be
0: absolutely delicious. Very true. My in-laws live in the southern part of Scotland. So I think it's only about an hour and a half to Glasgow from there.
1: Sounds wonderful. So let's hear a bit more about Ali, how he's fixed his health and what inspired him to start a food company.
0: Welcome, Ali, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: So we always start off by asking, where in the world are you? Uh,
2: I am in Glasgow in Scotland in the UK.
0: Great. What's the weather like there today?
2: It's cold, actually, yeah. Um, You know, when it's been quite nice and then you you get used to that for a couple of days and then you think, well, that's how the weather is now. And then you go outside and it's it's shocking. So I think (laughs) it's actually about two degrees today at the moment.
0: Yeah, I just looked at my watch and it's dropped here to four degrees as well. So, lose what have you got, 36 or something?
1: You know, just another hot and sweaty day in paradise. Let me just double check for you it is today it's actually been quite mild because we're still in we've obviously come out of um, coming out of winter as well so spring uh, 33 33 today <laughs> and it's been quite mild I think the oh the humidity is only 62 percent today so uh, yeah a bit of a sweaty sweaty pants 75.
0: Great. So Ali, let's stop talking about the weather and let's get on to more interesting things like tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started on low carb. Um, I know you're doing a bit of carnivore at the moment. And also tell us, who was the one that got you started on this journey? Who was the one person or the one book or the one thing that got you started?
2: Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I kind of started with paleo around 2015. I had struggled with my weight. Uh, I was, I was sometimes a little overweight as a child. And then into my twenties, I started to struggle to control my weight. And when I got to around 30, I was quite, um, I was quite desperate. I, you know, I couldn't control my weight reliably. I'd had other serious ill health since since childhood, but honestly, I never really connected food with my other health problems. So I really did just try paleo and then ultimately low carb to sort out my weight, and I I hadn't expected it to clear everything else up.
0: Yeah, definitely, um, really amazing, so isn't it?
2: When when I was a kid, I had. um Serious autoimmune conditions, uh, which required surgery a couple of times, but they were really just to, you know, patch up the symptoms and not get to the root cause. You know, I had, um, echolasia of the cardiac, it's called, where your food pipe basically closes up. And it meant that I couldn't keep food down or get food down. So I rapidly lost weight. Extremely concerning for everyone. When I was about eight years old, and they they did a they did a couple of surgeries where they expanded my food pipe, and that allowed me to eat again. But
0: I've never over, heard of that.
2: Yeah, it's it's very rare. Um, in fact, I looked it up again recently. It's very very rare in children, and you can find a paper where a Glaswegian consultant um, paediatrician wrote up. A couple of case studies, and I'm pretty sure I'm one of those case studies in the in the early nineties. So that was the probably the the worst um, visible effect of the autoimmune problems. But you know, I had mental health issues as well, going right from childhood through to uh, the last, you know, a few years ago, where I would struggle to concentrate. Sometimes I would have anxiety. Uh, and depression. And I never really associated that with food, to be honest. So kind of fast forward to, uh, about 2013, 2014. And I decided I was going to really properly tackle the weight thing. And I tried calorie restriction, which of course works in the short term. And you, you just, you start to get very, very hungry again. And uh, so I put the weight back on, and I was pretty bummed out about that. And I ca- honestly can't remember where I'd heard about paleo. Um, it was just something that I thought would be sensible. I understood the logic to be that, you know, as human beings, we evolved over a couple of million years in a variety of environments, but that there are certain foods which are extremely novel. And they shouldn't necessarily be completely discounted on the face of it, but they should be treated with suspicion. So I thought, well, I'll give that a try. That makes sense to me, you know, scientifically. I uh, have a a kind of mixed background after school. I worked in high-end restaurants and ended up being a manager in these types of places. And then I decided to go to university and I got a physics degree, so I was working in physics, science, engineering kind of field um, when all this was was coming to a head. And so it made sense to me scientifically. I thought, I'll try paleo. And I liked it. You know, it, it made it made sense to me. I liked the food, but it didn't help me control my weight particularly well. You know, I was still eating a lot of sweet potatoes and that kind of thing, rice sometimes. And it was, if there was one single person or book that helped me, it was um, my physics professor, who had been my undergraduate physics professor, and he was my uh, supervisor when I was studying for a PhD. And uh, his name's Professor Ken Strain. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. He was part of the, the international team that discovered gravitational waves in 2015 which earned the, the heads of the, the group the Nobel Prize in Physics. Um so he's he's pretty smart. And he'd had chronic fatigue syndrome, M E and uh he was told in his early forties that he probably wouldn't work again. And he kind of did what he does best, which is dive into the research and um came up with, you know, what healed him, which was Low carb. Six months after he started, he was running 10Ks again. And so he had spent subsequent years really getting into the research and he was able to point me in the right direction and say, you know, go and read this blog, go and read that book, uh, and go and go into PubMed where you can, you know, look up all the all the nutrition research, and come to your own conclusions. And I think it's quite difficult if you do all that reading to not conclude that eating low-carb and paleo is extremely healthy and that if you have metabolic or autoimmune problems, then it's a great way to, to prevent them from recurring. And to heal them, so that that took me up to round about 2016, and I noticed the difference almost straight away. You know, within a week, my chronic heartburn had gone. I could lie flat in bed again, sleep through the night. It was amazing. Changed my life. You know, straight away. Yeah. And the extra weight that I had just melted away and stayed off. Uh, I found it easy to keep off, even though I was eating rich, delicious meals all the time. Yep. And I was just so amazed by it that I decided I was going to stop the PhD and go back to food, which is where I'd originally worked. And I started my company, Paleo Canteen. And so we started in 2017 in Glasgow and uh, we basically built from there.
0: And so the Paleo Canteen was an actual restaurant, was it?
2: Yes, we... Originally, we're in a rock and roll music venue called King Tut's Wawa Hut in Glasgow. So we did the it there. It was a strange mixture of health food and uh, that kind of music. But we were there for nine months. It was uh, it was a good time. We sort of developed the, the brand and what we were offering, and uh, built up our audience. The plan was always to get to as many people as possible to help them, just like. I've been helped, and so that means going online uh, and bringing out resources and products that can um, be scaled up. And because uh, I think that there's there's a bit of a lack of that in the UK, although although um, the number of resources and products is is growing rapidly. So, we started off. In 2017 on the high street and, uh, we, we would do events and stuff as well, including Jen Unwin's Real Food Rocks Festival, um, in 2019.
0: Yeah. Lou we uh, went to that.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a great day.
0: I was waiting, I was in America, but
2: yeah. And, um, and then we were doing meal delivery in 2019 too, but we decided that was, not the best way to empower people. We wanted to allow them to do, you know, fresh home cooking and, um, that we would provide recipes for that. Hence the, the cookbook, which I'll show you on the video. I don't know if you're going to use the video, but, um, yeah, Paleo Canteen, low carb on a budget is the name of the cookbook. And, um, I've got a forward by Dr. David Unwin and, uh, I, I'm really happy with how that turned out and it's empowered people to, To make great food on a budget at home and that came out last summer Uh, and at the same time we brought out our um, low sugar keto ice cream scoundrel it's called.
0: So I was going to ask you what what inspired you to to write the book first of all? Sure
2: well I think there's a major criticism of keto or low-carb, you know, once people realize they have to concede how good it is for people, they say, well, it's such a, uh, an elitist, middle-class diet that excludes anyone who, who doesn't have loads of money to spend. And I just think that's untrue. You know, there's um, there's cheap cuts of meat. There's cheap sources of fat that are extremely healthy mm. and available almost everywhere. I mean, there are spots in the country where you get these food deserts where maybe the the, the su- local supermarkets are more convenience stores and they don't have the best um, sources of cheap meat. But on the whole, you can always go to a butcher or a large supermarket and get cheaper cuts of meat, uh, bones, offal, veg and good sources of fat and make something really really nice so that's what we wanted to show
0: Great, so then what led you down to ice cream that must be quite difficult to distribute and get out to people
2: Yeah well, ice cream was one of the first things that I wanted to do actually because when I started low carb uh, I wasn't paleo at first I, I kind of I'm sure I share this with a lot of people who start low-carb in that they they want a a replacement food for the things that they're used to eating all the time. Mm. And for me, that was ice cream. And it was a bridge away from eating the worst foods. So I would make my own at home with uh, a little ice cream maker. And it would take ages. It would taste really good. um, But I wanted to bring proper keto ice cream to the UK. The problem at the time was no one had a recipe. So um, I developed that over the next couple of years until last year when it was ready to come out. And uh, it's been really popular. I sell it in shops in Scotland and we've got some really devoted customers already. And um we're we're just looking to get it out further because it's it's unlike our chocolate. It's not something you can you can ju- or the cookbook, it's not something you can just send out very easily. Uh it doesn't really send out um at all individually. No. So we're we're talking to uh some larger retailers at the moment about getting it out round the UK.
0: Yeah, you really need to get in with some big supermarkets and have that use their distribution process i guess
2: exactly yeah frozen is just difficult
0: yeah
1: so you just dropped the c word and you Mm -hmm. mentioned about chocolate you know that is obviously another one of my favorite food groups so tell us a bit more about developing um your chocolate
2: yeah so i think after ice cream chocolate's probably one of the, the the most popular it's probably more popular than ice cream in terms of something that people miss when, they're, when they go on keto, myself included. And I didn't see anyone doing it exactly right. You know, there are lower carb chocolates available, but they usually have loads and loads of inulin fibre, which if I eat, it just doesn't sit right with me. And so I thought I'll do it properly and... And so I made this scoundrel chocolate, which comes in uh, dark milk or white varieties. And I think that's particularly uh, difficult for folk is you know, some of them love 85%, 90% dark chocolate and that's absolutely fine. And some people really miss milk chocolate and I really missed white chocolate. And um, so I thought, well, I'll do this and I'll, I'll not use milk powder because it's it's um, quite high in, in carbs, and some people don't react well to it. And some people just don't want to eat dairy, so it's dairy free as well, and it's sugar free and it's keto, and it's it's gone really well. You know the the response has been amazing. Uh, we're having people reordering again um, straight after they've, they've they've got their their deliveries. Um, I think it's it's definitely filling a, a a need. Um, and I'm really happy that I can do that. You know, it's been frustrating with uh, the ice cream to have to sort of wait until bigger retailers take it on. But it's great to see the immediate feedback of being able to send out the, the chocolate around the country.
0: Yeah, right. What else is in the pipeline for you?
2: So I'm really happy with uh, uh, the cookbook and the chocolate and the ice cream. And I think that's in terms of products, physical products... That's enough to be to be going on with for just now. Um, I'm talking to manuf- uh, another manufacturer about um, more products for the Scoundrel Group, but um, nothing that I would be revealing at this point. Um, so the main thing is later this year I'll be launching a coaching uh, membership platform. I uh, I love the feedback I get from people who've got the cookbook or the the food products that it allows them to, you know, really um either cook amazing meals from home or indulge in treats that they thought they would have to leave behind for good. But it's not the same as the kind of one to one help that you can give people when you're coaching them. So at the moment I'm going through the pre-cure coaching accreditation uh, which is based in New Zealand and uh, it's accredited with the UK Health Coaches Association and I'll be uh, available for one-to-one coaching um, later in the year and also I'll be making a membership platform so that people who don't want one-to-one coaching but do want extra support through eating low carb or paleo or keto, and just feel like they're not able to do it 100% themselves, they can come onto the the platform, they can get support from me and from the community, and they can get resources, which be guides around common questions to do with keto and low-carb. So that's what I'll be launching, and I can't wait because that one-to-one personal communication component is some, sometimes lacking when you're an entrepreneur behind the computer.
0: Yes, and I think lots of people do need that extra support and help to, to see it through. Some, some people are really good to take the information and run by themselves, but having that, well, one community, we know that the communities work because you've got a Facebook group and we've got a Facebook group. But um, I think sometimes people need that extra help and accountability. Yeah, I agree.
1: And I think it also is nuanced. Certainly, having having lived in in the UK, that there is you know, those little differences between you know Australia and the UK and the US. Particularly, we see loads of products that are available in the US, and as you said, the UK is slightly different. You know, in terms of our palette, um, in terms of obviously the resources. I mean, we don't have a whole foods on on every other other corner. Um, or Trader Joe's, you know those big those big chains that are catering to to paleo, particularly um, whole foods, in terms of the branding that they have over there. So the range, but in terms of being a manufacturer, um, we've had um, two other people on the podcast that have said about significant challenges in the food supply and production did you find that with your scoundrel with with your manufacturing the ice cream and and the chocolate
2: yeah to some extent i mean you have to use specialist ingredients and so you need to go you need to do the work to source them and make sure they're good quality and um that they ultimately they taste good and that's the main thing if you don't have a a product that's really good then what's the point but those were the main ones you know i think convincing a manufacturer to work with you is fairly straightforward if you've got the knowledge and the passion i think finding specialist ingredients is just about doing the legwork and trying them yourself so that you can trust them and that you really like them Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's a matter of finding customers really
0: yeah Great. So just before we came online and we started recording, we were talking about food companies and how you were saying how food companies are not to blame for the position we're in. So can you share your thoughts on that with the listeners?
2: Yeah, sure. And I mean, I would say that food companies can shoulder some of the blame because, um, you know, what I was saying before was that, Demand creates products and there's clearly a demand for people in low carb products that are legitimately catering to people's health. And, uh, therefore, me and the manufacturing partners I work with are delighted to make them. And, you know, you can see it in other areas like, uh, you know, coconut oil, for example, where you can see in some of the bottles now that they're being manufactured by huge multinational companies. You know, companies just respond to demand in that regard. But, of course, companies also make products which have a good uh, profit margin and then try to create demand as much as possible. Mm. So there there is some... Blame there, um, you know, a lot of nefarious tricks are used to guide your eyes towards uh, certain things in the supermarket. And you both know as well as I do that 80% or so of the supermarket is just becomes kind of null and void when you go like a healthy, low carb, uh, keto lifestyle because there's so much sugar, refined flour, veg oil in there that you just don't go down those aisles anymore. And those kinds of foods, clearly manufacturers make a very good profit margin because sugar, refined flour and veg oil is extremely cheap. For example, sugar is about a tenth of the price of uh, erythritol, the sweetener that I use, which I think is is probably best tolerated and tastes um, most like sugar. Um, and doesn't spike blood sugar at all. So, you know, you can see why there's an incentive for companies to stick to the cheap ingredients, heavily market it and sell that. And similarly, I think, you know, if you look at, um, if you look at campaigns like the Eat Lancet campaign to reduce meat consumption and to increase consumption of highly processed fake meat, uh, you know, some companies that are involved in that uh, in that uh, in that group include, you know, Unilever and uh, Barilla, the pasta maker. You know, you can see how it's it's kind of in some ways a battle for calories. You know, uh, you, you can't patent beef, so that makes it uh, difficult for these types of food companies who sell processed food mm. to make money from you. Yep. So, there's definitely a mixture there, but I would say that uh, food companies per se aren't the devil. They just respond to demand a lot of the
0: time. Yeah, and we've guided that over the last hundred years to create, for them to create more and more convenient food for us to eat.
2: Yeah, I mean, we do, you know, collectively, the world, love processed food. It's It's highly addictive. It's, um, it's satisfying in a way, in a, in a short term way. And it's comforting in a short term way. And it's, it's in some ways, it's like other addictions. Like, you know, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and if, if I was, if I had my back against the wall and I was stressed out or I was, um, you know, abroad and, uh, you know, Uh, lost or something like that I could always get cigarettes they were like an old friend and I think a lot of people feel like that about sugar and about other foods you know it's a comfort it's it's always there for you which is kind of a dark thing to to admit or dwell on but I think it's true for so many people and um, yeah that's a that's a big component of it too
1: so really what you're saying is, you know, in terms of we know that there are elements, as you said, nefariousness of the the big foods, but here you are, is this a David and Goliath, you know, little battle that here comes um, obviously in the keto corner, um, you, you know, we've got this independent manufacturer that is responding to a market um, in a sense that um, you're producing you know alternatives.
2: Yeah, well, what tends to happen, I think, is you get the goliaths who maybe start responding to this kind of demand by making pseudo keto products. So they'll they'll make something that they they say is keto, but if you really dig down, it's it's a it's a bit of a chemistry experiment, and it's it's not great. Um. And over time they'll they'll see the market grow and end up buying uh, or offering to buy the independents who get to a certain size. You know, for example, Mark Sisson from Mark's Daily Apple in America made primal kitchen stuff. And that included the mayonnaise and it made out of avocado oil and um healthy protein bars and that kind of thing. And he sold to, I think, Kraft Nestle. Is that the one company? I can't
0: remember who it was. It was one remember. of the big
2: boys for $180 million. So, you know, it's not a small market there anymore. It's um, It's joined the mainstream. And I think the UK is behind America by, I don't know, if it's five years or... More or less, but it's certainly moving in that direction, and so um what felt a few years ago like still quite a niche, I think is becoming very much more mainstream and the great thing about it, compared to other ways of eating, is that it's absolutely plain that it changes the lives of people who need it. you know David Unwin's work which is now published with Jen Onwin and others, including uh academics, not just doctors, shows that, you know, these these interventions where people just change the way they eat is reversing the diabetes. It's preventing them from having diabetic amputations, uh improving their energy, their mental health, their weight, their blood pressure, cholesterol, the triglycerides. Same with the Virtus study in America. So you still get people sniping about it and saying, Oh, what about the kidneys and all these myths that won't die? But you can't put this genie back in the bottle now. It's, it's, it's out and that's it. I think that's it. It's, it's reaching critical mass and, um, it's game over for the detractors pretty much.
0: Yeah. We're not quite at the tipping point yet, but it will roll over soon
2: very soon i think people who grumble about it are starting to look pretty weird because people like david Dunwin are i mean untouchable he's a very careful and um clever doctor in the nhs it's uh, and there's a growing number of similar doctors in the nhs doing exactly the same thing and getting the same results you can't really argue with that
0: hmm yeah We've had on the podcast Dr. Ian Lake, who is also a doctor um, Chris Barkley, who Dr. Chris Barclay, who's now retired, but he, he learnt this through one of his patients, and then Dr. Michael Baslington as well.
1: And not forgetting that we've also had Graham Phillips, who's a community pharmacist. So it's not just obviously, you know, exclusively to to medical practice, it's actually rolling into other allied health professionals. And like yourself, you know, moving into those support roles, those co- the coaching roles, which really is out there in the community supporting, you know, the how-to stuff, you know, because obviously the, the 10 minutes that you might have with your NHS GP and they sort of set you up and can support you, but it's the good folks in the community. It's that peer support that you really need. And obviously, you know, with your cookbook, you're providing that, practical instruction and the odd little treat with the the ice cream and the chocolate as well. So um yeah and so you're not feeling deprived and you're not feeling left out that there are quality products that can obviously be low carbon keto and 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 that won't um yeah, won't spoil anything. And that's yeah. a real credit to you.
2: Oh thanks. And that's it. I think I am picking up again on the support side, you know, it's been really good uh, Talking to doctors, asking them if they think health coaching is necessary, and they say it's it's vital because, like you say, they can tell people the, the, the facts and uh, they can diagnose them and tell them the facts. But it's that support which is which is so useful. And I think, um, you know, the old fashioned diet clubs like Weight Watchers and uh, and so on, who uh, focus more on calories in, calories out, and do what I think to be kind of grotesque weigh-ins at their meetings. Um, ha- have one thing right about them, which is that they, they have a social component, a huge social component, so it's about being in it together. It's about being part of a group. You don't feel like you're doing it alone. You know, the modern world is so fragmented. We've all got various interests that... Uh, Our oldest friends don't necessarily share at all. Don't don't really care about. Um, Probably a lot of the time, when people go low carb, they find that it's not even that they don't have support from their friends and family. It's that they're. It's that they're um, actively uh, discouraged, pushing pushing
0: against it. Yeah.
2: So to have uh, a group um, and a a coaching uh, paradigm in place for people. I think can be really, really helpful.
0: Yeah,
1: totally agree. But that's that's exactly right. I mean, you were saying about, you know, the Weight Watchers and it was really the social support. It was coming for that education that you were there. The fact that it came with, as you said, that shame factor, you know, it was a tension. It was between accountability, like I have to turn up and have my way in, but it was the shame that sort of was the overriding emotion for me turning up. And it was the, the feeling that I'm a failure if, you know, if, particularly if you had a, a bad week, you know. And the nuance there for women was every third or fourth week was always going to be hormonal sort of, you know, border retention week. So, um, yeah, you'd have three good weeks and then you'd have a bad week and then you'd have three good weeks. And riding those roller coasters of emotion in a public um, shaming was, was particularly hard, certainly from my experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I hear a lot is that, you know, in, in a lot of, a lot of groups as well and on Facebook, um, people are confused about why they're not losing weight rapidly because they're maybe used to using, uh, lighter life or, uh, one of these other sashi companies where they're starving themselves on 500 calories for a long, long time. Um, and they, they lose, you know, stones of weight but put it back on. And that's just to them what losing weight means. So for me, the focus is about how healthy are you? How do you feel emotionally? Maybe you could see how you're doing in terms of your waist to height ratio, but that's low down priorities. You know, I think there's, it's not uh, an accident that Weight Watchers recently rebranded as WW because it realised that focusing purely on rapid weight loss is uh, unhealthy.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's a hard paradigm to break because that's what we've been ingrained with over the last 50 years. And... Yeah, I think we're starting to make inroads, but we definitely need to crack that even more because I'm always meeting people who say I eat healthily. But actually, when you look at it, we wouldn't we wouldn't consider it healthy. And the other one is that I've just got to go out and exercise. I've just got to go and run more. I've got to go and do this exercise. And it's just about using up more calories. In fact, I had a conversation yesterday. Um, somebody was saying that they've got an electric bike and they've been down my biking and everyone was talking about the calories, but it, it isn't just about the calories that you use up. It's about what you put in in the in the system, first of all.
2: Yeah, exactly. The two people that I've had on my podcast that I talk about probably, well, what among the most would be uh, Herman Ponser and um, Andrew Jenkinson. And, uh, Professor, uh, Ponser did some amazing work on the Hadza tribe in, uh, it, it, I can't remember which country in Africa. Um, and, uh, I think it's Tanzania. And, uh, he went over to, to test how many calories a day they typically burn. They, the men go out and, and hunt for, you know, the day, 12 hours or so. Mm-hmm. The women stay with the kids on their back and on their uh, sides, um and and gather. So they're extremely active. So they, they assumed it would be, you know, how much, how many calories are they burning? Four or five thousand a day, and it turned out that to within a few percent, like three percent or something, they burn the same amount of calories as someone who sits at a desk all day. And it sounds like it can't be true, but they used uh, they used an extremely accurate, uh, measure of calorie, calories burned. And it turns out that only, the, the only thing that really measures, that, that determines how many calories you burn is your lean mass. So that's just if you take away, you know, your fat, uh, mass, then what's left is your lean mass. And so someone with the same lean mass who sits at a desk all day burns to within a few percent the same Amount of calories as a, as a Hadza hunter-gatherer who's out all day long exerting themselves. Now, whether you like that or not, that's just, that's just a fact. And then Andrew Jenkinson, um, added to that, uh, picture when, um, he talked about what exercise actually does do for us. And I think there's a big, big uh, debate raging at the moment about whether you can outrun a bad diet or not. A lot of people say you can't outrun a bad diet, which I think is true. I think, you know, the other the phrase is abs are made in the kitchen, which I quite like.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, that's a new one.
2: But uh, Andrew Jenkinson is a laparoscopic surgeon, so people come to him at the very end of the the, the the road when there'd be no other option except start talking about gastric band surgery. And, you know, he, he wondered why do people get to this stage? And, um, he notes that really what happens is you know people diet and um, they change what their weight set point is in a negative way so your weight set point is uh, controlled by various things in the body and um, you eat to maintain that weight set point if you starve yourself consciously uh, by going low calorie then it'll work in the short term but what you do actually is raise the set point because your body is afraid of being starved. So when you get food again, you actually—that's that explains the phenomenon of when people diet and then they put the weight back on, plus a few pounds more, which is extra demoralizing. Mm. So um, he he noticed that, and that it's it's you know obviously that's not a sustainable way of dieting. But around the uh, the exercise question, it clearly helps people in some way. Although it's hard to distinguish whether it's you know the exercise or the the change in diet, because people usually do both at the same time. But what he what he suggests is that you do become more uh, insulin sensitive when you when you exercise well. So it does help to control your your weight. But not because of calories in, calories out, and and I think that message is is going to take a lot longer to get out to people um, than than a lot of the other ones we've been talking about because it's subtle, it's counterintuitive, and it almost sounds like it cannot be true.
0: Yes, totally. And but we all know that it's important to have to exercise for health. So I I'm always telling my clients that yes you need you don't need to exercise to lose weight but you do need to exercise to be healthy and I think that's the important message that we need to get across is we need to we need to move our bodies our bodies were made to move if we want to keep moving them through the years we need to keep moving them
2: yeah absolutely and I like the combination of of uh, weight training and um, cardiovascular you know the some people say that you, you should really do you know, high volume cardiovascular gives you the best benefits, and some people say that you just need to do weight training. but I think both are really good. Um, and for me, the most important thing with any of this, whether it's diet or uh, exercise, is that you really enjoy it. You know I think it, I think a lot of people get really disheartened because they think that to be healthy they have to go to the gym and do two hours on a bike that they find very boring. Um, no, I mean, you can get a lot of benefits just from walking for an hour or going on a real a, a bike. Uh, I, I saw someone call, call it an outdoor peloton. Saw, <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. Right. Is, why has no one ever thought of that? Yeah. Um, and I've been doing that whilst the gyms have been closed. I've been going on long cycles and uh, and I've been loving it, um, because I can't run. My knees degenerated somehow in my twenties, and so I can't run more than about a mile, really. But yeah, the I totally agree that you know that exercise is really important. I think that's why there's this big argument about people saying you can't un- outrun a bad diet, which is technically true, I think, but um, it might it might convey the message that exercise itself is not important which which I think it really is hmm. for I think
0: mental,
2: the mental health, health
1: benefits <laughs> yeah yeah 100% yeah yeah the, I, don't the mental health right. benefits. I don't feel
2: right I don't feel right if I go a few days without going on a long walk or a, a long cycle or going to the gym and lifting some weights yeah
1: and the thing that I really enjoyed about when I was living in the UK was the little local gym and it was that sense of community and it was Going to these classes and it, it focused on um, progressive overload, so we were lifting heavy things repeatedly. But there was this group of women that were older than me, so they were in their late fifties, early sixties, and they were lifting heavier things than me. And it was amazing, like it was so inspiring. That the coaching that we received, and there were specialist specialist coaches. So for um, in weightlifting, so I improved my technique in squatting and deadlifts. These, you know, those compound lifts they were fantastic that the added benefit of I'm going to go lift heavy things with a group of like-minded women. That was absolutely, you know, the best thing about actually turning up. So the benefit that I got was not necessarily any weight loss, but you hit the nail on the head. It was my lean muscle. And as I'm moving now into my twilight golden years, my lean muscle is really important for my bone density. And these are the things that exercise gives me. It's not about the the calories out. It's about those other benefits of, um, you know, the group, as well as intuitively, I know my lean muscle needs to be maintained as I'm as I'm changing with my hormones.
2: Yeah, it's pretty clear from the literature that pe- people with more muscle mass live longer. And what determines how much muscle mass you have today is how much muscle mass you had yesterday. And um, as it dwindles in older age, resisting that is is. Uh, is so beneficial
0: yeah and it gets harder to create that muscle mass as you get older
2: yeah so starting starting earlier is good but there's no there's no time limit either you know i don't know if you've seen the the instagram account train with joan no it's absolutely brilliant i don't know what age she is i think she's in her 70s and she started off a few years ago quite overweight and with no muscle tone and you should see her now. It's uh, it's amazing, really. It's amazing. treatment with Joan.
1: Yeah, did look that one up, and I find that yeah, I find that quite inspiring because my my mother has particularly bad osteoporosis. You know, she's had any number of crush fractures, particularly in her spine, and treatment with um, it's almost like a a compound that was injected, you know, to bog up <laughs> bog up her her crush fractured vertebrae. So it's particularly particularly bad so yeah when you can see that you know in the headlights it's just like i need to lift heavy things and i need to lift it repeatedly but like you i mean i'm a bit dodgy dodgy or dicky we call them dicky knees in australia so i've got a dicky knee and it's um yeah i find high intensity stuff difficult but i can do that you know for the seven minutes those high intensity um for seven minutes and i know that they that has um that has benefit as well so combining lifting heavy things with a high intensity seven minute program that's probably my preferred um punishment at the gym
2: yeah that sounds like a good idea see a lot of um papers about the benefits of high intensity stuff and as you say you've got to find your own level with that i suffer from migraines and have done since i was a kid and one of my triggers is high intensity training So, if I go to like a kettlebell class where they really pummel you, then I might have a, a, you know, like a king mother migraine next day and it doesn't really fade for a few days properly. You put your body under a lot of oxidative stress when you work out to that uh, extent. And so, finding your own level, I think, is important. You don't need to knock your pan in.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it's about consistency and just keep doing it.
2: I've, I've spoken to someone recently who uh, goes on long walks and does sprints. So she's um, older herself and uh, just, you know, goes on long walks and finds a, a, a place where she can uh, sprint flat out. And she's worked up slowly over time and uh, she'll do 300 meter sprints now. Uh, and that Makes her feel amazing the combination of a long, um, low intensity walk and short burst of of high intensity. She really feels the difference. It's quite interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's actually really interesting here in Bangkok with the humidity. And I know that I don't have to work very hard to obviously get a sweat, but working hard. Under these conditions, I actually don't have to go as far. So I think having a look at your environment and how you can change that as well has has been quite interesting for me. Knowing that I can still do, as you said, that low intensity, but I know that I'm working harder um, given the given the higher um, relative humidity that I have to endure as well, which also means that I have to have loads of electrolytes when I um when I get back. And make yeah, sure for sure. That I've popped up my electrolytes.
2: A lot of people swear by uh, Bikram yoga, don't they? The hot yoga.
1: I loved that. I was doing that in Australia and I absolutely loved the Bikram yoga. It was absolutely fantastic. I can do that on my balcony, so that's fine by me. So um, you mentioned earlier about your podcast. Um, So tell us a bit more about your podcast.
2: Yeah, it's called The Canteen Podcast and I started it in 2019. And, uh, it's been really great. You know, I've, I've, um, I've had chats with people from all, all walks of life and backgrounds and countries. And, um, they might be experts. They might be people who benefited from meeting in a particular way. Um, uh, but it's been fa- absolutely fascinating and a huge learning experience that's put me in touch with some amazing people.
0: Yeah one of the ones i listen into occasionally
2: thanks yeah i mean what's great for me is that it challenges my assumptions so i think uh every day's a school day and there's a lot of misinformation that goes around in forums and groups and everyone outsources their thinking you know you can't be expected to understand how to build a Computer, you know, you outsource that to someone who does, Mm -hmm. and it's the same with nutrition or anything else. You know, uh, you expect that the people that you trust just know, and therefore, it's like you you know it yourself once you trust someone. But there's a lot of people who pass on information that is not verified, and Sometimes it's completely understandable. Maybe there's a a slight misinterpretation of the of the data that is that is uh, completely fair enough, and that it's just you know it needs to be corrected by the normal uh, processes and in, in scientific inquiry. And other times it's it's just kind of a just so story, which doesn't really have any backing whatsoever. You see that all the time in in all online communities, including low-carb, keto, et cetera. So I wanted to provide a source of information that was as reliable as possible, really.
0: Mm. Yeah, great. So Ali, before we finish up with our last few questions, how can people get in contact with you?
2: So you can get in contact with me directly on social media at Paleo Canteen, P-A-L-E-O-C-A-N-T-W-E-N, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can also look at Scoundrel, which is at Eat Scoundrel, on the same platforms. And you can go to the website, which is paleocanteen.co.uk, uh, or you can email me, uh, hello at paleocanteen.co.uk.
1: Great, thank you. Hey, Ali, looking back on your journey, what would you do if you could do anything differently? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think the hardest learning that I've had to do is that there are so-called keto-approved foods which simply don't agree with me. And I keep going back to them again and again because they're very addictive. And that for me would be cheese, yogurt, and, you know, particularly those two, but also dark chocolate. I just, caffeine, I just don't do well with. And, I'm not sure if I could do it differently. That's the thing. You know, if, if I could go back in time and tell myself, listen, save yourself, bother, you don't want to eat these over and over again, <laughs> then I would. But I'm not sure whether it would make any difference, to be honest.
0: Yeah, probably not. I think you have to be in the right place. You have to do everything in the right time, don't you?
2: Yeah. It's like, uh, Rog, the Rog Stewart song, which says, I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. I always thought it was pretty unfair that he didn't actually say in the song what that is. You know, that would be nice for us young people to benefit <laughs> from his years of experience. But but the point is that until you've actually lived it, um, you 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 don't know it.
0: No. And even if even if you you could go back to your old self and tell yourself that it you you might not have listened. Yeah.
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's that the power of that lived experience because there would be no point saying, Ali, you can't eat cheese. You can't eat yoghurt. You can't eat this. But that often evoke, often in particularly in a rebel sort of personality or a tendency, it's like just watch me. I'm going to eat that big wheel of, you know, blue Castello and I'll tell you. So I think it really has to be the power of your own N equals 1 and your own lived experience.
2: Absolutely. And sometimes even I think that's what coaching is good for is getting the client to realize that they know that something isn't good for them. And it's, it's getting the part that knows to tell the part that won't listen to, to stop doing it. Because mm-hmm. if someone else tells you that you need to stop, it's just like you say, there's a defiance. Um, but if you are telling yourself, then that's much more powerful.
0: Yeah, has to come from within. And, that, so and I mean, we, know, we all know people that would do well to be on this journey along with us. They're just not ready to hear it yet.
2: Yeah, and that's, I guess, unkind of, uh, insurmountable you know you can't force someone to Yeah, as much as it hurts you know i, I kind of i, I was very, i was evangelical about it in the early days because i thought if people only knew how powerful this was then they would of course they would do it and i was quite um i was disabused of that uh pretty quickly you know people don't want to hear on the whole they don't want to hear that they're eating the wrong things and the things they like are bad for them it's uh it's um it's it's, it's the opposite
0: yeah
1: so on that and moving forward what would be your three top tips for people starting out on a low carb keto journey
2: i would say ask a lot of questions and you know try to take an average of the of the of the responses because you're going to get you know you could ask a top doctor in the field uh, a question and get a different answer to another top doctor so you really have to ask questions and find out what works for you that would be my first one my second one would be you know keto and low carb is is great but adding a paleo component can be really really helpful you know the the, the logic of keto and low-carb, I guess, is uh, cutting out carbohydrates and, to a lesser extent, uh, inflammatory foods in general can be very good for your metabolic health, which I agree with. The extra logic of paleo, which is be suspicious, but don't discount, but be, dispi- be suspicious of foods that we've only introduced as humans in the last, few hundred or few thousand years so dairy seed oils refined grains and you know that's when i think the um you get the 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 superpowers coming in um
0: so when you say that do you mean if somebody was starting out maybe start with paleo or if you're keto and low carb Add in the paleo principles.
2: I think there's no harm in in starting off paleo low carb. I think for me, you know, the gold standard of testing if uh, the diet is going to help you in any way whatsoever is to do quite a strict elimination diet. Because you don't know if you have a problem with two or more foods and you only cut out one food at a time. You're never going to find what the issue is. And I think that's what happens a lot of the time. People say, Oh, you know, I tried cutting out dairy and my health didn't improve. Well, what about the grains? What about the veg oils? What about the, um, the sugar? And so unless you really try going pretty strict, paleo, keto, then you can't know for sure what your proper baseline is in that regard.
0: Mm. Yeah, great. And the last one?
2: Find like-minded people. I think that's huge. You know, it can... People can get really down about it. I also think that people can find a group that is talking about paleo or keto or low-carb and then turn out to be quite nasty. You know, there's a few... There's a few groups that are just, you know, that kick you out for not obeying the rules, and I think try and find a group that you actually like spending time with, not just one that that is following a particular set of rules. Um, Because if you're not having a good time, then what's the point?
0: Mm, Yeah. Great, thank you, thank you for being with us today. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much for inviting me. I uh, really appreciate it.
0: So what a great interview that was with Ali and really I'm really enjoying these interviews with people who are producing foods and making things accessible to people and also I think it it makes it sustainable for people to particularly transition if you're going if you're going from a very high sugar high carb diet and you need to transition into lower carbs, then I think these low carbs or low carb alternatives are a great way to do it.
1: Absolutely, and I think, you know, for me, we we're, we're just consumers of food, we don't actually go into the science of the food, or particularly what we've become more knowledgeable about is the food systems and how the food actually arrives, you know, into into our store. So I think, you know, that's really given us great insight into I suppose the, the fact that our food producers are committed to, to clean products and and sourcing clean as possible, um, the cleaner the better in terms of their supply chain and, you know, how they've had to fight for these quality quality products, even though it's, there are cheaper alternatives yeah, and as we know, you know, that could be seed oils or, you know, using of margarines or, lives, you know, yeah. other sugars yeah fillers and those sorts of things and i really admire um particularly you know ali sort of being steadfast to that and but that's come from again their own health journey and that lived experience informs how much they are committed to to improving our our food supply so it's really admirable for this this young man to do that yeah and I think
0: a bigger picture of that is as more and more companies like this set up, then the manufacturers of the food are starting to see that there is a call for it, firstly, and also that there are alternatives. So it just makes it the manufacturers more aware of what's going on in the industry.
1: But I think it's also the fact that, you know, the... the food producers like the mass production they can't keep on doing the same thing and as we'll hear from other podcast guests you know that they have to respond to these market forces and independent food producers like Ali um, you know are coming out of the woodworks because of the current food systems are so detrimental to to our health and having to provide alternatives and the fact that you know that being an independent producer means that they have so much more control over what goes into the food.
0: Mm. So it's all good, looking looking good for us on a low-carb way of eating to have lots of alternatives.
1: And particularly in the UK. So you're particularly lucky that you've actually, you know, got these great alternatives. Both Jackie and I have had the, had the pleasure of, you know, obviously traveling to North America and being, you know, overwhelmed by choice. Um, you know, when we go to, to the Costco's or to the, um, the Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and we know how broad the market is in North America, but, and same in Australia, we're, we're increasingly having, having more options, but local options as well. And we know that local is better. It's better for our economies. It's better for our supply chain. And being fresh, seasonal, and, and local mm. is even better. Yep. So well done to the UK for, um, you know, yeah, producing local food. So, Jackie, where can we find the show notes for Ali's episode? So you can find the show notes at
0: www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero three three. Great.
1: Hey, Jackie. You know, when you were starting out with keto, you probably had loads of questions.
0: Yeah, I do.
1: (laughs) Don't you wish you just had someone who was able to give you just the simple answers to all those questions about macros, electrolytes, reading nutrition labels and sweeteners?
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Well, we want to have an episode where you, dear listener, can AMA, which stands for Ask Me Anything.
0: You'll be able to ask us anything using a Fabulously Keto webpage where there is a contact form and you could submit your questions which we will answer on these episodes. The contact page is fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. Whether you're just starting out or experienced in your journey, we will happily answer your questions. You don't have to be new to keto, so if you're further along in your journey and have questions on being stuck on a plateau or a stall, then feel free to submit your questions as well. Just head over to www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash AMA. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash
1: fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Follow us on social media. Our Facebook page
0: is called Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know that you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One